Hey Rick, would you like to coach more efficiently, be more athlete-centered, led by data, and get some awesome results? Oh, yes. All right, well then Coach Tools is the coaching platform for you. Coach Tools is a coaching platform with all the necessary coaching tools in one place, from planning sessions to caring about your people. It is an easy-to-use platform for coaches, head of coaches, managers, and directors with an athlete-centered approach. With efficient digital tools, you will save your time, improve the quality of your work, and enable you a way to succeed. Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell all the listeners all the benefits they'll get by signing up with Coach Tools? Well, first of all, you will be much more efficient with your practice planning because you can plan it within a couple of clicks. Then um, you can be proactive for your athlete overload with exertion follow-up. Um, what is also very, very beneficial, and that is actually my favorite part about Coach Tools, that you can build closer relationships and better trust with them and get and give feedback through an athlete-centered coaching approach. That's the hallmark of Coach Tools. Um, you understand much more better their moods, their expectations, their values and goals, because after every game, after every practice, they fill out the very, very simple questionnaire and communication is so, so easy. And you can set up cheats and you can set up all the goals and you can follow it up, you can follow it up very, very quick, easily. And then um, this is also very valuable benefit is you enhance the learning of your athletes. You can illustrate drills, content, uh, tactics with the drawing board and you can store it at all one place and you can access this all the time you can share it with your club you can share it with someone else with other coaches and then um, all the information are always available for athletes and the coaches just one click and it's very easy um, it's very easy designed on on top of this there are many many more valuable tools which you can explore when using coach tools yeah, so as Rick said, there's so much more that you can do with Coach Tools. And, and all of our listeners can get a 20% discount on their first year subscription. All you guys need to go is to go to www.coachtools.net. That's www.coachtools.net and click start free trial and just mention that we, we brought you there from the Coach Edward podcast. All right. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road podcast presented by Coach Tools. Today, we are welcoming on Dr. Aaron Kraft, uh, soon to be from Queen's University in the greater Toronto area. Uh, Dr. Kraft joins us today to chat about equity, diversity, and inclusion in sport. And, you know, we talk about it towards the end of the interview, but, um, you know, it was a challenging conversation, I will admit, and it's a, it's a challenging topic to talk about. Um, and I, I think that that just motivates me to learn more and more about it. It was a really, really engaging conversation with Dr. Kraft today, Rick, and, um, and something that excites me that we're finally talking about on the show, um, because I think it's such an important conversation. To have um, and, and such an important thing to talk about and learn more about. So I'm excited um, that we have started that and, and had that conversation with Dr. Kraft today. And, and I'm excited to learn more about it and learn how to be, you know, more inclusive and, and learn how to kind of be um, supporting, you know, women uh, in sports leadership as we talked specifically today, um, but then other, you know, marginalized groups and everything like that. Uh, just one quick note from me on the technical side before I let you go. Um, there is some echoes here and there throughout the episode. They don't take away from, I think, the, the content. So um, nothing to worry about. But if you notice those, we, we apologize for that. But I think other than that, it's a, it's a great conversation and I'm excited to share it. Yeah, it's definitely a very sensitive topic and a definitely a very sensitive conversation. And it's some, in some situations, it was not easy to find the appropriate words um, to phrase specific things in the right direction because it's very sensitive because you have to be very careful about your verbiage and especially if you're uh, not a native speaker because uh, sometimes maybe you say things how you want them express express in your uh, native language especially if it goes a little bit quicker um, but i think we have been trying our best to um, be very mindful of this and very respectful towards the topic because it's it's well the topic is very relevant but again it's very sensitive uh, and not easy to find the right phrases and the 
right actions for it. But I think um, Dr. Dr. Kraft, she did an excellent job job at answering our question and explaining the entire theme. And maybe what we can recommend before listening to this episode, just having a short view uh, at the two papers we have been linking um, in the show notes as well, because it will help to proceed and to understand the conversation a little bit better. But now um, let's kick it over to Dr. Kraft and we hope that everyone will enjoy the conversation as much as we did. So now we'd like to welcome on Dr. Aaron Kraft, starting soon with Queen's University. Um, Dr. Kraft, thank you so much for joining us today. How's everything going there? Things are going well. It's a bright, sunny day here in the GTA. Um, so, so yeah, great day so far. Yeah, it's. Um, I will say I'm jealous of the sun. We've had a couple of days of sun the last few days, but um, before that, we hadn't seen it since like September. So I'm oh. jealous of that. But um, <laughs> Well, like I said, we're, we're excited to have you on. And, and like we always do with new guests on the show, we, we start with a little bit of background. So if you would just give our audience a little bit about who you are and, and what you do and what you research, um, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Um, gosh, where do I start? So I guess just in terms of my personal experience. I, I started as a swimmer. I was a swimmer for many years and um, then started doing some coaching and running some swim programs for children. Um, and then that really started focusing on children with disabilities. And that's what informed my master's research. I did my master's in education at the University of Ottawa. And I specifically looked at coach development um, in the context of, of coaching children with disabilities in aquatic programs. Um, following that, I moved into the Faculty um, of Health Sciences, the School of Human Kinetics, where I completed my PhD. Um, I finished in 2020 working with Dr. Culver. And um, my research was supposed to be focusing on working with um, coaches to coach athletes with disabilities. And then uh, the focus kind of completely changed partway through my PhD. And then I started working with um, women in sport. And that ended up becoming the central focus of my PhD um, was increasing gender equity and leadership diversity across sport. Um, and another key area of my work is focused on uh, social learning and developing communities of practice for coach development. Um, and then since completing my PhD, I've been doing some consulting work, largely focused on equity, diversity, um, and inclusion in sport. And then, as you mentioned, I'm going to be starting a full-time job with Queen's in 10 days, I think, and I'm going to be their equity education and learning coordinator in their Department of Athletics and Recreation. Okay, that is, uh, that is uh, quite the uh, cool title, I will say. I'm uh, sorry for that little echo, but um, and, and congratulations on the new position. Um, Thank you. I, I want to start. So you mentioned the, the research and, and work you've done with gender equity and, and leadership diversity, which is where I think most of our conversation today will take place. Um, I, I want to start with that and, and kind of in a more broader sense, can you just give us a little bit of overview on the current standing of diversity and equity and, and kind of the sporting field? Sure. Yeah. So definitely for my PhD research, and I think probably my primary strength lies in gender equity, um, as well as more recently kind of branching out into the diversity and inclusion part. Um, so just in general, um, focusing on women and girls, we're definitely seeing um, progress. There's some good progress being made. Um, we've seen for quite a few years now, specifically in Canada, um, where most of my, my research takes place, we're seeing more women in high performance sport, which is definitely some good news. So we're seeing some progress there, but we're still missing women and gender equity in a lot of key areas of sports. So for example, um, in leadership, leadership is still largely dominated um, by white men. So we definitely need to see a little more inclusion and gender equity there. Um, as well as uh, very recently, I guess in 2021, Lori Gano Overway, um, she is the editor of the Women in Sport and Physical Activity Journal. Um, I read a paper of hers where she talked about how we need some more research diversity. Um, so rather than just looking at the needs of women and girls in, uh, in the context of increasing their capacity, we also need to look more at um, intersectional aspects of their identities. So we need to look at, you know, just, you know, not just women and not just girls, but, you know, women who have disabilities and girls who 
are from you know, minority communities. We need to look at different parts of, of women and girls in order to continue increasing gender equity. Um, another amazing researcher who's, who's done some work in that area is Dr. Nicole Lavois. Um, so we are seeing researchers starting to focus on this, but this is definitely still an area of need. We need more, um, more research and programming that focuses on the voices of, of all women and all girls. Um, also, there's a few other areas such as sports coverage. We're still seeing, you know, quite a significant gender imbalance there in terms of the coverage of, of sport, particularly high performance sports. So there's uh, there's still a fair bit of work to do, but we're, we're seeing progress being made. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I, I think like you, the, the progress that you can see being made, I, I think it's, it's quite, um, there's a lot of steps being taken, I think, in the right direction, right? Like you think about, um, and unfortunately, I still think there's few examples to, to lean on and kind of high performance in the leadership side of things like, um, I believe it was the Canucks in the NHL that just hired uh, Cami Granado, the um, daughter of our, one of our former guests. And, and that was an awesome um, news. And then um, I, I saw recently, I can't remember the exact title right now, but um, like Megan Duggan in hockey just took over um, a foundation for women's sports. I can't, I don't want to butcher her title, but she just took over a leadership position there. And so there's, there's definitely examples, but unfortunately there's still that kind of few and far in between. Can you <laughs> just, is there any like um, research or, or, or just kind of any feeling from you about the, the impact that those few examples have on kind of where this is going down the line? Definitely. Well, I think um, a big piece that I've noticed in my research and my personal experience is that having greater representation increases the number of women that are willing to take on those roles. So if you're, you know, walking into a room and all of them, the people there that are in the leadership positions are men and you're a woman, that doesn't make you feel confident in taking on that role one day. So if we're starting to see more and more women taking on those roles, I think that makes other women feel as though they have the capacity to do that as well. So representation is a, a really key thing in, in moving the needle forward in terms of achieving gender equity. So I think I think it will have a profound impact on on women in sport. Yeah, well, that's um, that's something that we, then we can hope to continue to see more and more examples of. And and one example that you sent us some research about is the Alberta Women in Sport Leadership Impact Program. Sorry, I didn't want to make sure I got that all right. But yes, um, let, let's talk about that now because I think that's one really powerful example of of what a program can do to impact kind of the the leadership positions that women hold in sports. So can you just give a little bit of background about that program, um, why that started and, and kind of what it was? Sure. So that program was originally, um, it started off with Isabel Kaye from the Coaching Association of Canada. She is currently the director of sports safety there. Um, and she was the one that applied for funding to create a gender equity program that was specifically um, situated in Alberta, which is a Western province in Canada. Um, so her vision was to increase gender equity, leadership diversity, and knowledge transfer across all different types of sports in Alberta. Um, so she she got a whole bunch of really amazing and powerful people involved. Um, she had Mel Davidson, for example, who's been really big uh, for hockey, um, specifically for women in hockey in Canada. Dr. Carrie Din, who's also a fantastic professor from the University of Calgary. She had all these really powerful people uh, you know, involved in this program because she wanted to really, you know, make a difference and increase capacity for women. So essentially, this project had a group of women and a few men um, come together and create a community of practice. And a community of practice is a social learning space where people can get together to build knowledge, capacity, and learning. So she had, um, you know, this, this call go out to different organizations in Alberta, and then they recruited um, individuals from several different organizations. So hockey, lacrosse, uh, swimming, several different sport organizations. So these people all got together and participated in workshops, trainings, um, discussions, all different types of activities in order to generate ideas to create more leadership diversity and gender equity. So once that community of practice kind of took off, um, those individuals from the sport organizations who were referred to as sport leaders, then went back to their home sport organizations and implemented gender equity initiatives based off of the information that they had developed and learned in their community of practice. So it was kind of a, a two-pronged approach. So the community of practice was 
important in, in developing the learning and knowledge of those sport leaders. And the other piece was for them to go back to their home sport organizations and implement their own gender equity projects. Um, yeah, I think that's more or less captures it. I, I hope it, it does it justice. Yeah. It's an yeah. amazing program. Yeah, that's definitely. And you have been mentioning now right now, they're also like the, um, um, social learning spaces. And um, yes. I think the first time, well, I don't know if Derek knew it before, but Dr. Diane Kova has been speaking about this on our podcast as well. And then um, we have been both speaking about that this is actually here where we ha well, where I have been studying. Derek is still registered as a student and is currently working as a trainee instructor. And mm -hmm. this is exactly a place like this so it's always always uh, it's a it's a very valuable possibility because common interests come together you can exchange and even those common interests there are so many paths that can go into different 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 interests again so it's a it's a really valuable um, environment you can put people into and then could you also speak a little bit about because now you were a little bit describing the background of the program and um, can you also speak about the impact of the program so how sure. did it impact overall? Yes. Um, so yes, I definitely agree with you that this social learning is, is definitely something that is taking off in sport. And I, I think it's really been proven to be an effective method. And, and yes, Dr. Diane Culver, who you mentioned, was my supervisor for my PhD okay. research. Um, okay. So we definitely have a strong link there and a, a shared um, appreciation for social learning. Um, so yes, she was definitely the one that got me involved in that. Um, so in terms of the impact of the program, um, so I guess just to give you a little more background, um, I was initially asked to be a part of the Alberta Women in Sport program um, as a uh, program evaluator. So I was going to be evaluating the program and the impact as well as um, with my experience facilitating social learning spaces, I, I act as a consultant uh, to a certain degree as well. Um, so the impact was was huge um, from the data collection that spanned over, I think it was about a year and a half of data collection. Um, we determined that over 700 people were impacted from this uh, program in some capacity. So to give you a couple of examples, um, there were policies that were developed in sport organizations that um, specifically supported women. So uh, policies that increased the number of women uh, coaches on teams, uh, specifically for teams that are you know, girls teams, they wanted to make sure that there were policies in place to have more women coaches there. Um, there were several women's only programs that were developed for officials and coaches. Um, there were more girls centered programs developed, as well as some programs for Indigenous youth and newcomers to Canada, as well as mentorship programs to mentor young women um, into more leadership roles. So there were so many different um, programs and policies that were put into place that have you know, long-term impacts. And I think another key piece that I think is often overlooked in communities of practice, excuse me, <clears throat> is uh, the networking connection and friendships that develop through communities of practice. And, um, you know, Rick, as you had mentioned, um, you know, these spaces are for shared learning. And so everybody in this space had the same focus and hope to increase gender equity. So by being able to connect people that have the same shared passion really has you know, long-term implications. And I think these connections have carried far beyond the parameters of this community of practice. It's been done since um, ooh, it ended in June, 2020, if I'm correct. And I still hear from these people regularly. Um, so I think that was another really key piece that, that came out of this. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was, it was 10 women were involved in the program originally, like 10 of the sport leaders. So 10 ish. Um, so the originally, I believe it was 12. Um, but then people um, had to leave for various reasons, such as, yeah. you know, changes in roles and, and things of that nature. So yes, approximately 10 organizations and 10 people were a part of this. It was, I want to say at the end, it was nine women and one man. Okay. So that's another key point. Sorry, um, just to quick throw in there um, as much as this program and gender equity and focus is focused on women men play a very important role in this um, which is part of the reason why you know men were involved in this because they you know men play an important role in championing women and and helping women achieve those leadership positions so i think that's a very important point to note yeah and, and i, I want to dive into that specifically because um rick and i are both men and, and obviously like we um 
would like to champion women in sports leadership and everything like that. So um, I, I do want to dive into that in a, in a little bit. I, I want to just quickly note that like from from 10 or 12 um, I don't know students or, or sport leaders that sport were, leaders yeah. yeah sport leaders that were involved in the in the program as kind of the the learners in the space um, to then impacting like seven hundred people like that's a pretty large increase and in, I think I can't do math at this time of night but like seven hundred percent or something like that seventy percent um, or however whatever the math works out to be but anyway that's quite impressive so how do we um, how do we then go about and encourage other programs like the um, Alberta Woman and Sport Leadership Impact Program to happen or to take place in, in other environments and other um, kind of uh, cultures and everything like that? Yeah, so I, I definitely think um, a key part is just finding the resources and the structure to carry these out. I think that's where people often get stuck. Um, you know, you want to, you want to create this change, you have the drive, you have the passion, and it's just, where do I start? Um, so communities of practice, as we've spoken about a bit, are a really great tool for driving change in sport. We've, we've seen it in, um, you know, disability sport, we've seen it in, you know, women in sport. It's, it's something that we've seen across several different uh, sectors of sport. Um, so I guess one piece that we did develop from uh, the Alberta Women in Sport project was a legacy piece and it's called the how-to model and this is something we developed um, specifically for organizations who are looking to implement a similar type of initiative. Um, so it is available um, through the Coaching Association of Canada on their website. It can be downloaded. Their website is coach.ca just for your reference. Um, off the top of my head I can't think of what tab it's under but I could definitely look into it. Um, but that how-to model is available and it's a very applied document that gives, you know, kind of step-by-step -step how to create a community of practice with some examples from our um, Alberta project, as well as other communities of practice that we've developed across sport. Um, so I would say that's one key piece is, is to find a, a framework that works for you and your organization. Um, there's also tons of other resources out there, especially if you're looking to increase gender equity. Um, Canadian Women in Sport is an amazing organization that has some wonderful tools as well. Um, as well as I think another key piece is looking at your organization and seeing where those gaps are and making it a priority to allocate resources to those gaps. Um, so we definitely experienced this in the Alberta project where, you know, the sport leaders had these great ideas and they kind of received some pushback from the organization. You know, we don't have the, the money, we don't have the resources or the capacity to create this kind of program. Um, but oftentimes, if we can just, you know, shuffle some resources around, like I totally get it, sport organizations often, you know, are strapped for resources, but by prioritizing equity, diversity and inclusion and other areas that, you know, need further attention, prioritizing resources, I think is another really key piece to moving that needle forward as well. Um, and yeah, and I think just, yeah, accessing these, these resources that are readily available can help, um, you know, with the implementation of those programs. You mentioned one thing I want to, I want to touch on really quickly there is, is like analyzing your program, analyzing mm -hmm. your organization and, and finding where those gaps are and, and how we can fill them. Can you walk us through that a little bit more? What, what does that look like when, you know, say I'm running an organization, how do I find those gaps? How do I search for the things that I need to improve on? Sure. That's an excellent question. Um, Cause it's not always obvious, right? We don't always necessarily see or know what we don't know, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that can be as simple as, you know, sending out surveys once in a while to your coaches, to your membership, to athletes, volunteers, whoever's in your organization, just to get a sense of, what the community thinks those gaps are, or even parents, you know, asking them, what do you want to see more of athletes? What do you want to see more of? So reaching out to your community and, you know, addressing those gaps accordingly, I, th I think is a really good uh, stepping stone. Um, and then looking at your numbers as well, right? You know, looking at the demographic information within your organization and seeing, you know, there are some sports that are predominantly white. And if you're seeing that in the demographics, you know, maybe that's something that you need to address. That could be, you know, a gap area. And through that gap analysis, you can determine, okay, like this is an area that we need to work on. We need some more representation and then take the necessary steps to move forward, whether that is developing a community of practice, 
um, you know, changing your marketing strategies, your recruitment strategies, all of those kinds of things. But I think a lot of the time it starts with going to your sport community and seeing where those needs are. Yeah. And then you mentioned, um, again, a, a while ago, like the, um, the, the women, tr the women only training programs. And, um, is that for the, is that just kind of any level? So whether it's, you know, an all girls team or maybe an all girls, like, um, uh, like age group or however, however that works. And then also at the, the coaching side of things. So maybe a class for all female coaches and then maybe, uh, even like going into the all female coach developers, is that, does that kind of expand to all of those different, um, categories and levels and everything like that? Yes, it definitely does. Um, in the Alberta project alone, we saw examples of literally all of those. There were girls only programs, there were um, coaches programs, there were officials programs, there were coach developer programs, and they were all, you know, focused on women and women only programs. And I think a key part of that is it creates a space of comfort. Um, based on interviews and discussions I've had with women in sport, a lot of the time, um, there is this feeling of intimidation or a lack of confidence in um, mixed gender spaces, um, especially if, um, you know, women are trying to learn. Sometimes they don't necessarily feel comfortable asking questions or, or showing their vulnerability. Um, so I think that's very much the value of these spaces and, and kind of touching on what I mentioned before, just creating these spaces for networking and connections. Um, so with women coaches specifically, I know a lot of women have mentioned that it's so nice to have, you know, other women to talk to who are having the same shared experience as I'm having. And, you know, I'm having some trouble with this. This woman's also, also having the same experience and having those, you know, strong connections with women that have the shared experience, I think is something very valuable to women. Um, but I do also want to mention that, that, again, there is still an important place for men in these programs. So I'll give you one example from the Alberta project. There was um, a women's only coach developer program, but there was um, a male who was um, assisting with the facilitation of the program. And the women talked about it several times, how his specific role was important for that women's only group. So although it is a women's only group and, and that's an important piece, having some male presence, um, you know, strategically is, is important as well. So when I was reading the paper, there was something very interesting coming across to me when you were, when you were speaking about um, how actually some of the women feel in when they take leading positions in sports or when they're coaching and um, one part said that women feel uh, pressure and that they feel uncomfortable when they take over a leading position or they coach uh, their sport um, so how can we actually change this that they do not feel pressure and that they do not feel uncomfortable uh, with their uh, responsibility or with the sport they coach yeah, so we need to make sure that we're creating really inclusive environments um, for women. Um, you know, women also often feel pressured to prove themselves, as you mentioned, um, because they feel like their failures or mistakes will be attributed to the fact that they are women. Um, so for, for example, this was, was spoken about in that women's coach developer program that I mentioned, um, where the, the male that was helping to facilitate, he said that this was a discussion that came up a lot and, you know, he was quite vulnerable with the women. And he talked about how, when he was moving up into his leadership position, he said, you know, he made mistakes all the time and he fumbled a lot in developing into his own. And he said, he felt like he was given that grace because he was a male, whereas women just aren't given that same grace. And, and if women make a mistake, it's, you know, right away, people around will go, oh, you know, it's, it's because it's a woman and, and she shouldn't be in this role. And um, he also mentioned, and it's very much the case that it's, it's not just men who are making these judgments. And that's a really important point to emphasize, but women are also very critical of women too. This is something that we you know, we've, we've seen the literature and this was something that, that came up in, in many of the interviews that I collected that women don't just feel like, like men are judging them, but women are doing it too. So we need to make sure that, you know, all together, men, women, whoever, that we're all just, you know, giving women that space to grow into their own and not feel like they have to perform all the time. And, and that can be through, you know, words of affirmation and, and letting them know that, you know, they're doing well and, and the mistakes are okay. And, you know, just making sure that we're, we're setting up that that environment for respect and, you know, appreciation for people that are getting into new roles, whether they're men or women, we just need to be able to, 
to let them take their time to, to grow into these leadership roles. And it, it was really interesting to, to touch on, you know, the beginning of my coaching career. I, I was hired by um, a woman named Michelle Amadon, and, and she was fantastic with me. She, my third practice, she gave me the practice plan and said, hey, you're in, you're in charge today. And, and then kind of helped me through my mistakes and, and worked with me through my mistakes. And, um, and I, I think that process, right, and that's, that's how now I envision helping any kind of new coach that I bring along or, or I start with or anything like that. Um, but just allowing that safe space for that coach to make a mistake or that um, manager or director, or whatever the position is, to make those mistakes and, and grow into that position um, as, you know, as one does. You can't just, no matter what it is, even if you're just switching from, you know, coaching U14 in one club to coaching U14 in another club, there's, there's going to be learning curves um, as you learn the, the people you're working with and the culture and everything like that. So it, I think it's really important to just allow that space for the coach to grow into the role. And, you know, I, I want to ask again about the, the, you talked about the comfort, but then there's other, there's two other C's in that article that you sent us. And um, we'll, we'll put the citations to those articles um, in the show notes so everybody can, can understand what we're talking about here. But um, there was also confidence and, and connection. So how can, um, you know, if, if you think again about the, the role of a male uh, in that, in, you know, championing women, and, and sports leadership, how, how do men play a part in also that confidence and that connection that, that help women feel more comfortable in their, their role in sports leadership? Yeah, uh, very good question. So, um, so again, I'll, I'll refer back to that, that male uh, facilitator. So one piece that he talked about um, in terms of building women's confidence was something that we often refer to in the Alberta program as the shoulder tap where, um, you know, you kind of go to somebody and say, you know, you quote unquote, tap them on the shoulder and say like, you know, hey, you, I think you should apply for this position, or I think you should try out for this role. So if a woman is, is lacking, you know, the confidence to try out for a specific role, having somebody go out of their way to say, you know, I actually think that you can do this. I think you'd be a great candidate. Why don't you go ahead and do that? So this, um, this particular man said that he, he tried to do that a lot to just be that encouraging voice to get women to step out of their comfort role or um, comfort space um, and uh, to try taking on those, those new positions. And uh, I think there was tremendous success with that. So that's definitely a role that men can take is, you know, being that, that champion, once again, being that champion and, and doing that shoulder tap and saying, you know, Hey, I believe in you. Why don't you give that a shot? Um, in terms of connection, hmm, how do men help support connection? Well, I think in this case, again, referring to this man, he was, um, he was just there as, as like a supportive presence. You know, the, the group was exclusively women with the exception of him. And, and he was just a great supportive person. And he was, you know, um, somebody there to bounce ideas off of somebody there to champion those women. And I, I think that's how he supported that, that connection piece. He was just, he wasn't there, um, you know, giving his, you know, thoughts on how things should be done. He wasn't there to direct the group. He was a facilitator. He was somebody there to support. So I think, um, I think a supportive role, acting as a support could be an important piece for, for developing those connections specifically in, in women's spaces. Um, and then I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can um, switch to this next question, but I think I might just jump into the next question. So, um, there's also, you know, a lot of other marginalized groups out there, right? And, and unfortunately, I think, especially in hockey, it is a white male dominated sport, wherever you look around the world. Um, and I think a lot of sports are that way. So, you know, how can the example that we've talked about today with the Alberta sports, or the Alberta, the A-W-I-S-L-I-P. The uh, acronym, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how, how does that example, how can we translate that example to, to use with other marginalized group and also bring up the, the equity when you think about, you know, not just women, but also, um, you know, African-Americans and, and other races within other sports and everything like that? 
Yeah, so definitely using, um, you know, the type of model that we used for the Alberta project, the, um, the community of practice model is, is definitely a model that can be replicated into other communities. So with the Alberta project alone, it was largely focused on, you know, women and girls, but there were also programs that were specific to Indigenous youth and newcomers. So that's just a great example of, of how it can be applied elsewhere. Um, also, I guess just in my own uh, personal life, I'm, I'm working right now on a, a grant application with um, an organization in Canada, and it's specifically focused on creating a program for uh, new Canadians. And so essentially what we're doing is we're using um, the sport as a vehicle to create an inclusive um, opportunity for new Canadians to feel um, you know, more largely integrated into Canadian culture. Um, so I think a, a key thing here that will will probably span across all communities that these types of initiatives are are implemented into is that it should be focused on um, taking the information from the community and planning accordingly. Um, so rather than coming into a community with you know a specific agenda and you know a specific sport that you want to implement, it should actually be the reverse of that, or at least in in my experience, it should be the reverse of that, where you actually should be going to the community first, seeing what the specific needs and experience wants are of that group, and then creating the program accordingly. And that's definitely something that was done with the Alberta project as well. There was largely a bottom-up approach and looking at the needs of the community, looking at the needs of the sport leaders, and then determining uh, the programs and developing the programs and, and strategizing based on those specific needs. Um, so I think that's how these models can be transferred into other communities by focusing on you know, using a user-centered approach and then uh, and then developing the program accordingly. I, I want to touch on that because I, I, I think that that is something that I don't think white men are, are very good at. And, and I, again, that's a generalization, but like, um, you know, I, I think there's a good amount of examples throughout history of just going into a community and, and you know, trying to put in your own program or, or kind of telling what the community wants, but then I, I think like the the whole conversation that we're having today kind of reminds me of just, you know, how where, where coach education is going overall, I would say today is just, you know, be user centered, as you just mentioned, and, and create safe environments for the, the people that you're working with, regardless of, the, of whether they're a male or a female, um, or any other gender or, or kind of any other race or anything like that, just creating that safe environment, you know, kind of comes back down to those those central pillars, I think, of what it means to be a sports coach in general. Um, how, you know, we talked about it a little bit about the, um, you know, finding out from our community about, you know, where our gaps are and things like that. Um, is there any kind of research or suggestions on, on how we find, um, and now I'm just kind of trying to think of where I'm going with this again, but um, like, how we find kind of how we find that information you know like how does how does this community want to be involved with our sport how does this community want to be involved with our program um and and how do we meet the needs of that community when it, when we think about you know whether it's ice hockey or swimming or or anything else yes um so i guess one example would be so if you're going to focus on um you know, new Canadians, for example, because that's something we've been talking about a little bit, you might want to go to, so focusing on the, let's just say, sorry, what am I trying to say? Here? Um, <laughs> let's say you have um, Syrian refugees, for example, and you'd like to integrate Syrian refugees um, into a specific sport. So you might go ahead and talk to um, specific agencies um, that are uh, like, you know, community groups or uh, different cultural associations that are specific to, um, you know, the Syrian population. And you might want to consult with those agencies first and ask, you know, about cultural preferences, uh, create your own personal cultural awareness, learn about the needs of the community and making sure that you're taking the time to learn about the community before you go ahead and start developing programming. So I, I think that's, that's a good place to start. Um, I'm going to be honest, I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. No, it's all right. I, I think um, I think we're passing on some of our our evening energy to you, but um, I think I, I I was asking you know exactly that, like how do we reach out to the communities? How do we find out what what they want and how they want to be involved, um, and not just kind of going in and and forcing a program on them that they may not necessarily 
you know, want or if it's their culture or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I, I think that was a good example that, that you mentioned. Um, okay. And yeah, I, I think you answered my question. I, I think we have like one more kind of area we want to shift to now for this conversation. And, and that's, you know, going back to a little bit on the, the stuff we talked about earlier about how, you know, men can be involved in, in championing sports leaders, women's sports leaderism. You know, Rick and I, right now, we're just kind of coaches of, of individual teams. You know, I have, in my team specifically, I have um, 29 uh, players and and four coaches. And, and one of the players is, is um, a 12-year-old girl and the other, everyone else is, um, you know, male. And, and I think almost all but one is white. Um, you know, how, and like, my question is, is like when you were in those environments, like how do we how do we champion these ideas? How do we kind of push these ideas um, in those environments or in our everyday environments when, um, you know, we don't maybe have access to those resources that we need to create the programs or anything like that or even be in the positions to create the programs or anything like that? Yeah, so I think. um you know, something I had mentioned earlier was, was that shoulder tap. And that's absolutely something that can be done, you know, for younger girls as well. Um, you know, going up to a younger girl and saying, you know, I think you should try out for that team, or maybe you should consider going to that competition. I think it'll be a really great experience. And again, just, just, you know, building that confidence through those small, you know, motivating conversations or comments, I think just those alone have a really large impact in the long term. Um, also, again, if, if you don't have the specific resources, this might be a more challenging one, but also um, being strategic in marketing. Um, people want to see themselves reflected. Um, you know, in sport, if, if you're just seeing boys in a program and you're a young girl, it, that might be intimidating for you. So if you're seeing, you know, marketing and, and different strategies that are showing you know, the reflection of, of different people and there's a more diverse marketing strategy, um, you know, hopefully that will that will encourage, you know, girls to try out for more sports or, or become more involved in, in sports as well. Um, also, I think another key piece um, for coaches is making sure that you have, you know, the capacity and the, the training or experience or confidence to modify your programming um, so that you can create more inclusive spaces. So if you want to integrate more athletes with disabilities or, um, you know, more trans youth, making sure that you have, you know, a strong enough knowledge of how to modify or integrate individuals into programs that make it a, a comfortable space. And that could be through professional development, um, you know, accessing, you know, more articles, reading. And I know coaches are always strapped for time. I know we're always trying to do a million things at once. But again, it's really about prioritizing, um, you know, that time and making sure that you have the skills to integrate more diverse, um, diverse populations. Um, also some other small little things you can do are, um, just showing that you advocate for inclusive spaces. So if you have an office, for example, possibly putting a little uh, pride flag up, um, just to let, you know, children know, or youth know, this is a safe space. This is an inclusive space. You're welcome here. So even just small strategies like that can help, you know, entice different people and different populations to participate in a sport that perhaps they wouldn't have wanted to initially, or they were a little nervous about it. Um, and I guess my, my, one of my other suggestions would be, again, if, if you have the budget for it, um, to have, you know, tryout days for sports. And if you can uh, try to make, um, you know, some of the equipment uh, free or a reduced price, um, again, to try to help different communities try out new sports and, and you know, trying to limit those barriers in, in access. Um, that's definitely another thing that you can do as, as a coach if you have the capacity to do that. Um, I think another really key piece, again, this kind of goes back to the professional development pieces, is, is being aware of your own, um, you know, potentially oppressive behaviors or certain things that you might do that you don't realize might be affecting other people. So something that I've, I've seen a lot recently in the literature is microaggressions. Um, this can be a topic in and of itself, so I'll just very briefly touch on it. Um, but I think it's a it's a key thing I've, I've seen come up, so I want to make sure that I mention it. Um, so microaggressions are, are, you know, to briefly summarize, just um, things that people will say or do that that can potentially be quite harmful to others. Um, so I'll just give you a couple of really quick examples. Um, if you have, you know, a new athlete that's, um, you know, 
has a, a East Asian descent and um, you go up to that individual and you say, you know, where are you from? And the person says, I'm, I'm from Toronto. And you then respond with, well, where are you really from? Um, that's that's a, a pretty good example of, of what a microaggression is um, because this individual, um, you know, doesn't look the way that you expect them to look, you're assuming that they couldn't possibly be from Toronto. So, so you know, that's that has pretty big implications on um, on that individual's well-being and their feeling of, um, you know, safety and, and inclusivity in, in the space that you're cultivating. So um, I think just being really reflective of your own practice and the language that you're using and the words that you're saying and, and again, constantly developing yourself as a professional, I, I think is something that all coaches can do in, in order to create uh, more inclusive spaces. Um, now, you mentioned about, for example, the marketing um, to enhance, like, or to increase the diversity and equity. And sorry, how do you pronounce this word? Equi equity. Equity in the, in, in the, in the sports context. Um, but how can we maybe, I don't know if change is the appropriate word, but how do we can maybe enhance that? Uh, because I can imagine that, like, for example, if you have, for example, you have a commercial for, let's say, for example, handball, uh, that we want to become uh, more diverse and more equity oriented, that we want to work more equity oriented. How do you can help people that, because there may be some people out there who would like to do it, uh, but they don't, um, they, they don't want to go because they don't feel comfortable to go. Um, it's, not, it's nothing to do with, um, getting outside the comfort zone. I don't think that's fair to say, but just because they are, they are afraid of getting really judged and based because they've maybe had previous bad experiences. So how, do, how can we consider this as well, including this maybe a little bit in the uh, marketing process? If it's fair to say, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just want to quickly ask you a follow up with that question. So, so are you asking how we market, I guess I'm just not completely understanding that piece you asked about, um, like people that would have a, a previously bad experience. Yeah. So for example, if, so for example, if I just go with my friends and play handball, um, mm -hmm. and, um, I feel like, I feel like, okay, but I feel like that's based because based on the environment, based on the social learning space. I feel very uncomfortable based on the comments and based on how I'm received and based on how I'm treated there. And then I, then I, but I feel the desire to keep playing handball, for example. And I see that the commercial or something is like, or I see a club who's recruiting handball players for recreational purposes, but I want to go, but I'm afraid of going because of bad experiences. So I don't mean just in, I'm, I don't, I don't mean in this case, but I mean, just in general, like. For example, um, what we have been speaking previously now about like, as well, that um, overall, like how do we can, like, even though it's marketed, but how can we help people that they don't feel um, afraid of going there if they, if they, for example, if they have a different culture background or um, if they, if, if they have a, if, if they're, if, um, if, if they're not used to um, equip, I don't, maybe I can rephrase this question and ask again. Well, I think just just what you just said, um, like two seconds ago, I think one piece that you brought up that I could definitely speak to, as you oh, said, yeah. you know, people that have different cultural backgrounds that yeah, yeah. Don't feel yeah. Yeah, comfortable. Yeah. Um, so I think I guess one strategy you could use would be um, if you have several coaches that speak multiple different languages, advertising that on your website, that might not be something that people will just know um, mm. that, you know, this sport, there are coaches that speak six different languages that might be enough for somebody to say oh okay like there's a coach there that speaks the same language as me that will make me feel so much more comfortable trying that sport out just knowing that there's there's somebody there I mean that's just one example there are several different things you could do but just being deliberate with um trying to provide um you know different examples of, of diversity and different ways that people can be included into the program so that would be one example of that I think that's a really good example. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And um, I, I have one more question before we get to the the final question for the interview. And you you mentioned you know making sure that you have the the knowledge and the skills in order to um, you know include diverse groups and everything like that. And um, you know I, I'm just curious because you know the three of us we've talked about it. 
um, off of the recording and said like how sometimes like this topic is quite uncomfortable to talk about or, or mm-hmm. um, quite, you know, there's a lot of nuances. So you have to be kind of careful about what you say and, and how you say it and everything like that. So how do we start as, you know, just maybe coaches with no information on this topic, with no, you know, background with this topic and just kind of, you know, never having to worry about this topic because we are, you know, coming from, well, for me and Rick, for example, white men, you know, we, we've never really had to deal with any of these issues. So um, how do we how do we start that process for ourselves? How do we start getting to a place where this is comfortable for us to talk about, but then also we can work with other groups, we can work to inc- include others and everything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think, at least in my opinion, a really key starting point is to acknowledge your own privilege. And you just did that, Derek. You just said, you know, I am a white man. I've had certain experiences, um, but I I haven't necessarily had, you know, experiences where I've felt, um, you know, that I wasn't included. Um, So I think that's that's the first step. And I myself, I'm I'm a white woman. I have certain privileges as well. Absolutely. Um, So I think that's the first step is acknowledging your position and your position in sport and how that then influences how you carry yourself and how you act in the space. Um, So I think that's an important first step. Um, So participating in in your own personal reflective practice and and acknowledging who you are and and your experiences. And then there's there's so many resources out there. And and as you mentioned, Derek, this this is a newer, I mean, it's EDI has been around forever, but not forever, but for quite some time. But you're right. It's it's really starting to to, you know, expand a lot recently in sports. So there are resources all over the place and there's so many free tools as well. If you just, you know, take the time to Google, if you have a computer, if you have Internet and you just Google, you know, EDI resources for sport, tons of things pop up from, you know, reputable sport organizations and, and communities. So you don't necessarily need to have, you know, a ton of money to to learn. Um, you don't necessarily need a ton of time either. Just, you know, taking 10 minutes a week to browse the internet and look up what's going on and obviously being quite deliberate with the resources that you do access, making sure that they are reputable sites. Um, I'm sure there's there's some, you know, not so good stuff out there as well. But just, again, I think so much of this comes back to prioritizing. We all have the time to do these things if we make it a priority. So yeah, it, I, I mean, there's, you know, paid programs, there's tons of professional development that you can access that does take more time or does take money. But if you don't have those resources, just going online and, and looking things up is, is you know, one, one place to start. Yes, and prioritizing, uh, learning to prioritize takes a lot of a lot of time. Um, I think um, every, everyone who starts coaching um, realizes it as well at some point that it's a very essential part of life and very essential part of your job but um, how to do it and when to do it um, takes a little bit of time and uh, but it's a very very crucial skill i think mm-hmm. it's just a very important side note from this from this conversation we had with you today and um, as derek has mentioned already we have always one final question um what is your just your message to the listeners regarding the topic and the discussion we had here today What is my message? Oh gosh, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. I gotta gotta do it. No, no pressure, no pressure. I guess honestly, so much of it comes down to being a good person. I know that seems simplistic, but it really does. Like so much of this comes down to just, you know, being respectful of others. I mean, it's obviously there's there's so much more to it, and there's so much work we have to we have to do. But a a lot of that you know, comes from being a respectful person and respecting other people, respecting other backgrounds and, you know, be open and willing to learn. And I, I think that's, that's really important for, for EDI, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion um, is just, yeah, being a, a respectful person with open ears and an open heart and being willing to learn, learn about other people, learn about other experiences. I, I think that would be my key message. All right. Well, Dr. Kraft, thank you very much for, for joining the Coaches Road podcast today and um, and talking to us about this this new topic for us. And um, I think I, I learned a lot and it was a really interesting conversation. And there's definitely some some pieces I'm going to take away and some pieces I'm going to prioritize in my own learning here in the next um, coming month. So 
thank you and and we appreciate your time and, and best of luck starting at queen's university in uh 10 days i believe you said so that's exciting thank you thank you so much uh it was really great to be here I very much appreciate it So one more time, thanks to Dr. Irene Kraft to join the Coaches Road podcast sponsored by Coach Tools. Um, again, this was a very sensitive conversation and a very sensitive topic, but I think um, she did an excellent job at answering our questions really, really well. And the first point I would like to start with in the reflection is that um, when we were speaking about the practice, the community of practice and the social learning spaces is that um, one point she has been mentioning is that very often a feature that is overlooked is that these are actually networking places, relationship places and at places where you can build friendships. And if you think about, for example, the place like Viromeki, obviously we take Viromeki very often as an example. And I'm very sure that there are a very, uh, that there are a lot of other similar places like Viromeki, but if you take, for example, like a place like this as an example, is that because it's exactly as, an, as a place that is doing these things where you can build relationships, where you can build friendships, where you can network. Because if I, for example, think about myself, I started this or I've started the studies in 2018 and you came in 2019. And then obviously, because I was living still on campus, which was a huge advantage, you built a relationship and then you built a friendship and you start to network with each other. So um, this is definitely a very overlooked feature and a very, very valuable point she brought up. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and, it, and it, it plays into the, you know, connection piece that um, one of her articles was mentioning about, like how the. Um, the Alberta project, uh, as she was shortening it, um, you know, how that added to the connection that the women felt to the other women in the program and, and the other sport leaders in the program. And, you know, I, I think that that is such a valuable piece because, you know, the whole base of social learning spaces, it comes from social learning theory, which says that, you know, humans are social by nature. And that's how we learn by nature is by interacting with others and interacting with our community and with those around us. So I think that, that is such a important piece to note from communities like that and you know thinking about you know that that was the first point i wanted to bring up is about the alberta woman in sport leadership impact program or again how um dr Kraft was shortening at the alberta project um it, it it was such a i think powerful example of what can be done to create a large impact you know we were talking about in the episode how 10 people 10 to 12 people were in that program as sport leaders and they measured it and they, they had a direct impact on 700 individuals throughout Canada. You know, imagine the, the resources being put into a program like that, that brings in, you know, a hundred sport leaders or a thousand sport leaders, you know, and the impact that that can have, you know, it's, it's kind of exponential. And um, it, it really, you know, it really showed me at least how, um, how big of an impact some, you know, small project like t bringing 10 sport leaders together like that can have. And I, I think that that is, that is why it was so powerful to me is because, you know, it, it shows that it is invest, it, it is worth investing the resources in to programs like that. And it is worth investing in, you know, women as sports leaders and everything like that, because it can make such a big impact. And I, I think that, um, it was such a cool project and I really liked how Dr. Kraft was speaking about it and, and kind of, um, she was very proud of the project as she should be. And, um, and even in her role in the pro pro project and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was a really, really interesting example of what can be done to increase, uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion in sport. Yeah. And I think definitely adding to your point that definitely, Projects like this definitely deserve more attention and more recognition in the sports world um, because as you've been describing, it had a huge, huge, huge impact in whole Canada. So I think um, it's definitely it's definitely valuable to have a look at this paper and definitely valuable to have a look at actually the um, what's the that's what's the right word that actually the influence of the project uh, on the entire nation. So I think it's very, very 
very very valuable and something else she has been mentioning is that when we were speaking about like overall the community and how we actually want to or i think you asked about how do we actually can enhance the community and in other words how do we can actually close community gaps is that and she was providing a very very simple tools for example something just sending out um, a questionnaire and reaching out to the community and just making sure that you communicate with them and i think on top of this after sending the questionnaire i think it's very important to um, follow up on this questionnaire as well and then also to stay in touch i know we have sent out few questionnaires and we have been discussing that we want to send out more and i think it would add a, a lot of value as well because then we can also get a little bit more uh, from our now from our perspective a little bit more external uh, input and then we can also work a little bit more closely with the community and close some of our uh, gaps as well yeah for sure and, that, and then that's exactly what those should be used for right is of identifying and, and closing your gaps so um it's definitely something that you know, I would be very interested in, in, in reaching out to our audience about and um, and something that we should do in the near future for sure. Because I think that there are, you know, there are pieces of the coaching world. There are topics in the coaching world. There are, you know, areas of, you know, what it what is coaching and everything like that, that, that we're missing for some people. And it would be interesting to get their feedback and how we can close that, close that gap with, with what we're talking about on the show. And, um, you know, I, I think... <clears throat> the I, I do want to mention one thing off of what you said there is like you can also look at that that how-to that we'll link in the show notes um from from the canadian um i forget the resource right now i'm sorry but um the how-to that dr Kraft mentioned um on how they built the pro program and how they built the community practice and how it can be implemented you know in, in a club or in, a, in an organization or anything like that so um we'll, we'll try to link that in the show notes for sure um you know i, I think the Another thing that I wanted to talk about um, is the the idea of the shoulder tap that, that she was mentioning. And I think this is such a powerful tool because um, at, at, when I was doing some research for my, my thesis, I was researching uh, social learning spaces because I am doing, um, you know, a, a, I'm a, assessing the value created in our program. And um, there's this there's this idea in social learning spaces. You have to have, there's three dimensions of participation. And, the, the first one is that you have to care to make a difference in your own world. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of people out there and the, the authors, um, Wagner and trainer, Wagner trainer, um, they both were mentioning that, you know, it's, it's quite common for, for people from marginalized groups and people from, um, you know, groups that are, you know, underrepresented and everything like that to feel like they can't even make a difference, you know, that they don't have the power, they don't have the resources, they don't have the voice um, to make a difference. So that, 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 um, that ability and that care to shoulder tap someone and say like, hey, you should go for this position, you can do it, you can make a difference and, and you can kind of, um, you can make it in, in this, in this world of sport leadership. It's uh, something that I think it should be more commonplace and 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 that's just believing in people it's believing in women it's believing from people from and people from marginalized groups um and it, it's just kind of championing their voices and I, and I think it's such a powerful tool that um should be used more often and i think also it's also um confident confidence building process because if you for example if you think about yourself when you arrive here at the program i think that's also some of the points you can think about yourself like that okay i'm supposed to um at some point i'm, I'm on my path i'm supposed to pursue leadership role in, in sports but how am i actually getting there without feeling a little bit like you know walking with my heads down and being all the time conf confident and comfortable and actually realizing that um with the tools that you get provided here that you actually have the competences that you can pursue roles such like this and um, and i think again like um a very um, I don't have too many points anymore, but overall, very, <laughs> very not 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 difficult conversation, but um, very not. I don't I don't think challenging is the fair word as well. But again, you have to be very conscious about how to ask questions and how we follow up and how do we actually interact during this whole fifty minutes here today with Dr. Kraft. Yeah, I I I think like for me at least it was one of the more 
challenging conversations. I will yeah. admit, like it, it is a challenging topic from from our perspective, right? Like, oh because, yeah, because it's something that we've never really had to talk about before, and it's something that we've never really had to dive into before. And you know, I, I've tried to do a little bit of you know self education, read some books, and find some podcasts and stuff like that on the on the issues of equity, diver- diversity, and inclusion, and not just in sport, but just also in you know, for example, my country. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, in the past and in the current uh, and the present about, you know, um, race and, and racism and, and everything like that. So it is it is something I've attempted to to try to educate myself in before. I, I'm, I'm going to kind of double down on it again after this conversation. Uh, this conversation has kind of re-motivated me to learn about, about <laughs> this topic because it is so important. And, and you realize, I think just talking about it, you know, as short as we did today, 50 minutes, that you really don't know much, you know, as a, as a white man, you, you really, you really don't know the impact that you can have just like subconsciously, um, just by existing. And then also just by how you interact with people in the workplace and your community and everything like that. So, um, I think it is so crucial. And that's why I asked her at the, at the end, like, how can we start, you know, where do we start? Where do we, um, where do we start to, to learn about this and, and get comfortable talking about it? Because it is, it is uncomfortable to talk about, but, I think that that's why today's conversation was so powerful for me because it got us talking about it. It put us into, you know, a situation where we had to evaluate ourselves. We had to evaluate what we were talking about and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall it was really interesting and, and I'm glad we finally had this topic on the show for sure. Um, but I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap it up for today's conversation. So thank you again one more time to, to Dr. Kraft for joining the show. Um, and talking about equity, diversity, and inclusion in sport. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're still with us, then um, thanks for all your support. And, and we will see everybody next week with another episode of the Coach's Road Podcast presented by Coach Tools. Bye. Bye.